G'day, thanks for joining the Heights Church Podcast today. We hope you enjoy our message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Gorston Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. There's no doubt about it that the media stereotypes father. You can have all sorts of image go through your mind when you're thinking about the role of the father or the the title of the father. Our media has a great influence on the way that we see fathers these days. It used to be that the father was this stable, wise person, wise counsel. There was always the reliable one to go to. But then there was kind of a shift in movies around, starting around the 80s, if you're not even born before then. I don't know what to say. Instead of father figures, dads were portrayed as goofballs. Cheaper by the dozen, home improvements, national lampoons, vacation, all kind of put it all out there. And the incompetent, unreliable father came up out of that, that let the kids down, like parenthood and hook and and just fathers generally stuffing up. Popular misconceptions about God are often based on personal projections from either real or media-driven fathers. Sometimes God can be seen as the distant one, like the patriarchal God, like God is in the clouds somewhere, like Monty Python and the Holy Grail kind of had. Or the demanding father, where figuratively he checks your room to see if it's neat and tidy or not. No dinner if it's not. Or somewhat unreliable ones, always messing up and falling through on promises. And sometimes people can project that on God and and not really believe that the Heavenly Father is going to keep the promises that come to you. Or that autocratic father, you know, don't cross him. It's kind of like appeasing the Roman gods or not. Some churches thought, we'll solve the problem. We'll just get rid of father altogether and not even call him Heavenly Father. I was at a church in Toronto where we literally sang a song that referred to God as brother, sister, mother, God. Because even though Jesus used the term 170 times in the Gospels, the term father was to them oppressive and patriarchal, so they got rid of it conveniently. I never took our youth group to that church again. But whatever the image of father is in your mind, the Bible says that God is your heavenly father And you can be sure that it doesn't mean that God, the Heavenly Father, is oppressive, chauvinistic, patriarchal, rude, demanding, or a drill master. You can be sure of that. We need to know what the truth of the Bible says, what it says about our perfectly Heavenly Father, so we can be completely confident in Him. For three reasons that I'm going to put forward, and there's many, many reasons, but from this chapter we get three reasons of chapter from Romans 8. And it will give us great confidence. And for fathers in the house, our model for fatherhood. I can be confident because God is our guiding father, number one. I mean, I don't know how, whether you're facing decisions in life or whether decisions are coming up soon. Nationally, we have important decisions that are going to be made in October. Personally, and from a family perspective, you might need wisdom in the decisions that come your way, whether you have socks or whether you have a mug. Maybe they are in the whole scheme of things. Look at what Romans 8 says in verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And one crucial point here is that the word led, because 
it is part of what dads do. They lead, they guide, they advise. You can think that God gives you pointers and points you in the right direction, but that's not the right way to think about it. But pointing is not the same as leading. Leading means that God takes you by the hand and goes with you and even goes ahead of you every step of the way. And we can be confident that God, as he leads, will lead us in the direction that he wants. We just won't run amok and go wherever we would like to go. Nor will we slip from his hand. I don't know whether you've ever gone out and you had little kids and you walked around the rocks because we lived at Newport and uh, we, we often went down to the headlands and walked around the place. And, and you can have it where your son, in my case, my sons are walking along and they're holding your hand and if they fell, well, then they would let go and they'd, they'd fall into some you know, crevice or whatever it might be on the rock, rock base. And, and I was soon... I soon discovered, with the help of Susan, that I needed to hold their hand rather than they hold my hand. And uh, what happens, I think, is we can kind of project that side of type of thing on our Heavenly Father, that we need to be constantly holding on of God because the minute that we let go of God, well, then we'll fall and we'll skin our knee and we'll, we'll, we'll fall somewhere that we, we shouldn't be and get hurt. But that's not the case at all when we read in the Bible. What we read in the Bible is that God holds our hand. He grabs us. That's what Paul means later on in Romans when he said, nothing can separate you from, from God's love. Nothing. Because why? Because Not because we've got hold of him and we won't let go. I think that's a good idea, by the way, anyway. But because God holds us and holds us by our hand and he will never let us go. Not because we're holding on to him, because he's holding on to us. We have a guiding father. And if we make it really practical, you need to think about some of the decisions that you're going to go through. Are you holding on to him, or do you truly believe he's holding on to you? We need to place our hand in his hand and let him lead. See, we need to remember the context that we've looked at over the past few weeks. If you've not been here, you can go online and listen to some of the messages on Romans as we go through it. The context of Romans 8 is in a direct response to Romans 7. And remember Paul's closing argument, what do I do? I keep on messing up. I can't do what I want to do. I can't go in the direction that I want to go in. I keep on sinning in that same area over and over again. And Paul says he is learning as we should learn to not feel guilty and defeated, but rather to grab hold of God and allow him to grab hold of us and lead us to places where we'll be able to live rightly before him. He's our guiding father. But he's not just guiding he gently guides us. He's a gentle father. One of the stereotypes that uh, we don't often see in fathers is a father is a gentle father. And for some blokes, it's like, oh, I'm not quite sure that I want to get down that road uh, of being gentle. But that's what God is. That's what our heavenly father is. That's who, who, who he is. He's a gentle father. And one of the missions of Jesus on this earth was to make known the name of the father. And one name that Jesus used more than any other was that he is 
the Father. He is Abba Father. He is not just a role figure within his life. He is the dad. It says in verse 15, if you did not you did not receive the spirit that makes you a slave again in fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, the Bible says, and we by him cry, Abba Father. I think the Living Translation puts it well. It says, We should not be cringing like fearful slaves, afraid of every step that we kind of take, but we should behave like God's very own children, adopted into the bosom of his family and calling him Abba Father. It means kind of literally, Dad. And some people might say, well, it doesn't mean Daddy. It means it's got to be more respectful than that, doesn't it? But I think that's the greatest respect that we can give to God, is to recognise that he has his heart for us and that we, he's as a gentle, nurturing dad, will will move us and walk with us along. There's a picture that's going to come up on the screen, and I've showed it before. I think it is anyway. Uh, and uh, and it's, kind of, it's one of those great photos of all time. In fact, it is noted to be one of the great photos of all time where JFK is working in the Oval Office of the White House and his kid is playing under the desk. Could anyone else have hung out that way in the Oval Office? I mean, Harry goes over to meet President Biden and I don't think you would have that kind of photo in the Daily Telegraph. I'm pretty sure that Hunter doesn't come anywhere near the White House, no, it's just under the table. The rules were different for the president's son. It's that shocking accessibility that we see in the Bible where we are able to come before God and enter into his presence. And he welcomes us. It will certainly change your concept of prayer, won't it? When we come before the Father, we don't need to be afraid to stand in his presence. It's kind of not like the movies. It's not like the, the, the TV show Secession or Yellowstone where the person that you approach is inaccessible, the inaccessible head of the household or inaccessible company ruler, CEO, tyrant, one who doesn't raise his head in your presence or seat, as you walk in the room, they're seated and looking out the window but they don't turn their head to you at all. If you think of God as your Abba Father, your Dad, it's like a child curling up in the loving arms of the Father. I don't know whether you've been a father or not. I don't know whether that's your experience of your father or not, where you're able to sit in their arms and curl up in their arms. I know, I remember, with our kids growing up, I, you know... Um, they can get all wiggly. They can sometimes even fall asleep in your arms where you're, you get dead arm. Dads, you get it, no doubt, where you sit there and go, I can't feel my arm anymore. You just want to love them as they are. They're not distracted. You're not distracted from them. You don't care whether they fall asleep or not. And it's a bit like our... Heavenly Father, that as we go to him, 
He's never distracted. He's always attentive to us. He never falls asleep, even if life can get massively crazy for us and we feel as though we're just run out of energy. He doesn't. It's a pleasure for him to be with us. Psychologists say that your self-image is based upon what you think is the most important person of your life and what they think of you. If the most important person in your life is God, then what he thinks will be the thing that drives you and changes your direction and will change your life completely. Because not only are we his children, we're adopted children of the living God. And he is our father. And to be adopted in Rome, where the Apostle Paul is talking about the adoption of us as children, was a big deal. As it is everywhere a big deal, but in first century Rome, it was a massive deal. It was a legal ceremony where the adult would be adopted into somebody's family. And we don't have those kind of ceremonies. Well, not exactly anyway. It's a long and complicated ceremony that Paul was referring to that was prevalent in first century Roman culture. When you were adopted into a family at 20 or 25 or 30 years old, all of your life previous to that was scrapped. It was all stricken from the books. Every debt that you owed, every crime you committed, your name, your birth date were all stricken and you were given a new birth date and the new birth date was the day that you were adopted. You were referred to as one years old because that's when you legally began your life. You see the richness in what Paul is saying. He's not saying that God has just accepted you into the family. He's saying, I've given you new birth from the day that you came into my family. You were one year old and you, everything beforehand was stricken. No matter what you were like beforehand, no matter how you lived beforehand. And this comes after Romans 7, don't forget. He said, even the sin that you committed before you came into my presence and accepted my forgiveness is gone. And you are my son. You are adopted into the family. You have received the spirit of sonship. And to him we cry, Father. The spirit himself testifies that we're God's children. Back in Roman days, you had seven witnesses that witnessed that ceremony. So just in case anybody disputed it in the community, they would go to one of the seven witnesses or one of the seven witnesses would stand up and say, no, that's not right. He's not a slave anymore. He's a son. He's been adopted into the family because we're a witness to it and there were seven witnesses. Well, here we have God himself in the Holy Spirit testifies that we are children of the living God. He's not only a guiding father and a gentle father that has adopted us into family, but he's generous. It's one of the skills that I had to learn, is generosity. There was an ad back, way back, uh, that had where the father needed to save money for their, the, the, the retirement and they had to hide all their finances from their kids because their kids were spending it and spending it and spending it. Kind of like the opposite to generosity. It was a shocking ad. 
This is what Romans 8 says. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. Sometimes people can view God as like the father in Oliver, you know, the foster parents in Oliver, where Oliver comes up and just asks for more gruel that, 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 that he could eat. How many times have we maybe seen God the Father like that, where we want more and he says, no way in our minds? But we have assurance in the scriptures that God is not like that. So since we are children, we are, we'll share in his treasures for God gives to his son, Jesus Christ, and now is ours as well. The NIV puts it like this in verse 17. It says, now, if we are children, then we're heirs, and if we're heirs of God, and we're co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in the glory. If we share with Jesus his life and walk with him in his suffering and his glory, then we receive from God. Did he suffer? Will we receive that? Absolutely. Did he get lonely? Will we have that in life? Sure. And maybe that will be ours as well. But did he receive power in the moment of need? Absolutely. Did he receive the words to say? Absolutely. Did he, was he glorified and resurrected? resurrected? Absolutely. And so will we, since we're his children, we'll share in his treasure as well as in his life. This is a real adopted adoption uh, ad that was in the US. It says, imagine a childless couple providing your baby with, an over, with overflowing love, a wonderland of friends and family, and at the end of the rainbow, the best that he or she could be, a warm-hearted, caring couple ready to share our lives your baby will find a lifetime of security with a devoted mum and adoring dad. And then there's a phone number. Can you imagine how vulnerable a couple has to be to be placing that ad in the paper? Now, if we think about that, and we think about the ad that God would write as he adopted us and wants to give to us in the gentleness of his heart. Lee Strober puts it like this. God says, I'll take the person who feels inadequate and mediocre. I'll take the notorious and the unworthy. I'll take the person who quest for purpose has gotten them mired in immorality. I'll take the person who is struggling with unanswered questions. I'll take the person who's on a treadmill of trying to prove he or she is somebody and I'll provide a depth of love. I'll provide fulfilment. I'll offer satisfaction that will endure when the accolades stop. I'll pro provide security that will continue for all eternity. I'll give that child brothers and sisters who will love them for who they are. No questions asked. Wouldn't you want to be adopted into that family? And then at the end of the ad, instead of a phone number, this would be the verse, John 1, 12. God is saying, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God.
Isn't that great? That's the Father that we have. That we can go to that guiding, gentle, generous Father who has adopted us just as we are. No questions asked. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as we are. And although this world has almost forced us to look at fathers and who you are as Heavenly Father in a way that you never present, we look to your word to know how you present yourself, to look at how you have treated your people, your adopted sons and daughters, your one that guides. And so we ask for guidance for those who need it. In fact, we all need it. We need to be guided not only the direction that we take, but the way that we walk, the thoughts that we have, where our heart goes to, we need to be guided in the right direction. Lord, we pray that we might recognise you as gentle. The one who surrounds us with your love, the one who takes us by the hand and will not let us go. And I pray, Lord, that we accept your gentleness and your surrounding us, recognising that your adoption came at great price. Death on the cross. And that your love extended beyond words to actions that will ground us in your glory for all eternity. Pray, Lord, that we might see you as one who wants to give. You give your children all good things. We recognise that even good is discipline. And we're recognising good is also walking with you in your suffering. But in all of that, we look to you and we know that for all things, you work out the good of those who love you and according, called according to your purposes. So we thank you, Lord, that you have adopted us as your children. And I pray that we walk in that every minute of the day. I pray this in your name. Amen.